If you're joining us today for the first time, this is the last week of our Esther series. We are studying the book of Esther, diving in and just pulling some really great principles out of what that can look like. And so we're going to be in the book of Esther, uh, chapters 8 through 10. I'm just going to read in chapters 9 and 10. If you don't have it, uh, your Bible's in front of you. We're going to put it on the screens for you as well. But Esther, uh, chapter 8 through 10, just to wrap that up. And just to really quickly just catch us up. Uh, a little bit of preview of where we are in the book of Esther. Uh, we see that the Jewish people uh, are a part of this Persian nation and uh, they were taken into captivity. This is right after Nehemiah. If you guys remember Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. And uh, so this is right after that. Some, most of the Jewish people have gone back uh, where there's this King Xerxes and he decides that he wants to do uh, what some of the kings did back during the time. And uh, just to, to create this party, he tried to bring in his current queen and she refused. And so he removed her from her queenship. And then he said, let's have a beauty contest to decide the next queen. And then Esther enters the scene and she becomes queen. She hides her nationality for a little bit, her Jewish uh, culture for a little while. And then her older cousin, Mordecai, who is a high official, they begin to work together and God works behind the scenes and orchestrates this moment where she becomes queen and she becomes a huge part of how God saves the Jewish people. And so uh, that gets us right up to Esther chapter eight. We see that uh, Esther has gone before the king and has requested that the king save the Jews. And we're going to find out exactly what that means, because if you remember, the king issued a decree that all Jewish people would be, the Bible describes it as annihilated. They, they would be wiped out. They'd be sentenced to death because of this one man, Haman. And now they're trying to reverse this. And we're going to see uh, some wisdom come about with Mordecai and Esther here at the end as we close. But that gets us right here. We're kind of right there in this moment. Uh, I'm calling it the kind of the last act of Esther of what's going to happen. And the thing about Esther is, if you remember, the woven theme of the book of Esther is that God is the hero, right? And even when we can't see it, God is still working, right? Like even when we can't see it, he is still moving and he is still working. That is all throughout the book of Esther. And that's what we're learning here. So I don't want to pray for us. Is everybody doing OK? Yeah. Sun's back out. The rain is gone. Right. Amen. Uh, we also have this is not announcement time. We have party at the park tonight from five to seven at Oscar Frazier. Uh, it got moved from Thursday because it rained for like 47 days and everything here. Do you notice when it rains that long, like everything just turns into swampland? I remember my first year I walked outside and I was like, what is this? Right. Like this this swampland in my front yard. But anyway, um, it's a lot better today. We're going to be out there. We'd love for you to come invite your friends, family. It's one of my favorite things because uh, we're just hanging out. We're just building relationships. We're eating free hamburgers and hot dogs. Who doesn't like that? Right. And we're just getting to know each other, building relationships. So that's this evening at Oscar Frazier Park. Uh, but let me pray for us. Ask God to speak to our hearts and then we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your truth, God. Thank you for uh, the Bridge Church. And God, I, I just I'm so thankful and grateful for the many people who continue to serve, uh, who continue to show up week in and week out and uh, just to worship together as a church, God. And just uh, I'm thankful because on days when I'm tired or whatever it may be, uh, God, you bring the right people at the right time and puts a smile on my face and encourages and lifts and brings strength, God. So just thank you so much that we get to serve together. We get to walk through this together, God. And uh, we're praying that 
you do what only you can do, God. And that is change lives. That is help us and shape us and mold us into your image. And help us to be more like you, God. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. Anybody in the house a reader? Anybody love to read? Uh, yeah, some people in the house. Uh, so when I grew up, when I was a, a student, a kid, so to speak, I don't think, this is a true statement, I don't think I read a book until my senior year of high school. Uh, I was big into, I know everybody's like, oh my goodness, that's crazy, uh, which it is a little crazy. Uh, but I was so involved in sports, and I was like, I cannot sit still long enough to read a book, right? And, but something happened when I got to college. And I started studying and I started discovering how much you can learn in books. And, and I kid you not, from the moment I started college, I probably read a book a month. Like just can, can't, can't get enough now. I think I'm trying to play catch up. Uh, but all the way through and even as an adult, I'm like, this is amazing. This, what was I missing? And luckily, my kids didn't pick up my gene. They picked up their mom's gene and they read like crazy. Uh, which is great, but I, I love reading. I love reading out. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I have a little bit of ADHD, if you can't tell. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of moved back and forth up here on stage. So I like to read and walk. If you're at my house, I'm like walking around my living room reading a book. That's too much information. You probably didn't want to know. But as we begin to think about all the stories, but I love reading. The reason why I love reading is because it gives us knowledge, right? It allows us to experience something maybe we didn't experience in our life, right? Or we get to learn something that we didn't know before that somebody can pass down from uh, not only just in our day and time, but for generations, right? We can pick up these books. And when I became a pastor, I found out my great-grandfather was a pastor, and he has all of his pastoral books. And so they're really, really old, and the pages are falling apart, but I have them up, like, in my study in our extra kind of spare uh, office room. They're up just so I can see them, just because of the age and seeing the generations of prayers and studies and all the things that happen. I just love that about books, right, just to experience that. And as I think about that, uh, you and I, as we read uh, stories, we may read one particular chapter, right? And we're reading one particular page. And the only thing that we know about that story is what we have read and the page we're on, right? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I don't go to the end of the book and read the end of the book, right? And then go back and read the, the things, right? It's part of the suspense. It's part of the thrill of reading. So I know what I've read previously, and I know the page that we're on. And that is exactly how we live life, right? We know what has happened in the past, right? We've learned from history or from other people, stories passed down, experiences from our own life. And then we only know what's happening today, right? And we only know what's happening and experiencing in that moment. And when I look at the book of Esther, and as we begin to read the last few chapters in this book, I'm reminded of what God tries to remind us of all the way through the Bible is that he knows the future. He knows the last few pages. He knows how everything is going to end, right? And he is the one who is helping write our story and the stories around us. And so as we read from the past and read from our, uh, our lives in the moment and in the day, we read from the perspective as Christians that God knows the end, right? And so I want to talk today a little bit about the final word, right? The final word. 
And just to kind of spoiler alert, God gets the final word, right? And so we're going to see this, just reminded of this here in the book of Esther. And so if you open up to Esther chapter 8, uh, you, you, we see this begin to happen. And the original decree that the Lord put out into place, the way that they set their laws were, uh, was that once the law was put into place, it could not be reversed. So now they had this law that is going to put out where they're going to go and try to annihilate the Jews. They're going to try and kill them off. And because of this, that, that can't be reversed. But what the king does is from the request of Mordecai and Esther, right? They've overturned Haman at this point, And they're the ones who are in charge. They're the ones who have the, has the king's trust. And he says, you know what? Take my signet ring which is symbolizes if this is decreed and stamped by my signet ring, then it has to happen. It has to come to pass. Everybody has to trust it as full authority, right? And so he says, take my signet ring and you write up a new law. You write up whatever you need to write up in order. You can't reverse it, but you can write up whatever you need to make this happen. So Esther and Mordecai, they begin to work and they begin to write up a new decree. And we're going to read that here in Esther chapter 9, we're going to kind of get caught up here, and we're going to see that they write up a report that says, hey, uh, be, even though some of the officials are going to come and try to annihilate you, you can organize yourselves, and you can fight back. You can not only organize yourselves, but you can recruit other people who are going to be on your side, and now you got to remember, Mordecai is now one of the highest officials and so Mordecai is sending this letter. Esther is sending this letter. They're both Jewish people, right? So the queen and one of the highest people are saying, we're Jews. And if you want to be on our side, then you can come together and help us fight these people who are going to try to wipe us out on this particular day. So when the Jews received this, I love this in the Bible. It says they received it with joy. Because they thought this was going to be the end. We need to get out of here. We, can't, we, don't, we don't know what to do. But they receive this with joy because now they know they're not going to be alone in this fight. Now they know they can organize. Now they know the king is not against them. In fact, the king may actually be on their side now. Remember last week, Peripatia, the reversal begins to happen. Now the reversal where they now they have the backing of the people who may go against them. So we're going to be in Esther chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And this is how it reads. It says, so on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. So the original one and then now the new one that, I, that we just talked about. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles and the providences and the highest officers, the governors and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted to the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. We see here, especially in these last few chapters, the focus begins to shift a little bit from Esther to Mordecai. Esther is the one who's walking beside the king, but we see God uses Mordecai in extraordinary ways. But one of the things I, I love this here, it says all the nobles and the provinces and the high officers, the governors and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear 
of Mordecai. You have all of these people. You have the Jews over here. You had the king's uh, army who was getting ready to go out to wipe out the Jewish people. They were all over here on this side going to fight for the Jews. And now all of a sudden, they're all switching. They're like, oh, no, sorry, we're going to be on the Jewish people's side now. And we're going to fight against you, right? Because we see, as we talked about, but God, these but God moments of we don't know what's going to happen on the next chapter, even though they were uh, led, dismayed, and didn't know what they were going to do. And But I believe there's a principle in this that you and I can pull from. Because the Jewish people we see, they had they were going to be wiped out, right? And that that is a trial, right? Like that is that is a struggle. That is God. Woe, like woe is me. What is going to happen, God? Where are you in this? How are you going to help me? And God could have moved and said, you know what? Even though the king can't reverse it, I'm going to reverse it. We're going to change the laws. We're going to rewrite it. He can, God, he can do any of that, right? He could blink and the new decree could read whatever God wanted it to say. All of these pieces, God could change the heart, but God allowed them to not be fully like the, the, the pressure, the trial to be fully gone. What did he do? He said, no, you can pick up your sword and now you can fight back. But here's the difference. I'm going to be with you, right? Like I'm going to not only be with you, I'm going to organize other people to come in and to join your side. And you're going to see how I'm moving and working in that. And so I think you and I, we can pull that. We see all throughout scripture. Sometimes God doesn't keep us out of struggle, but he gives us what we need to overcome the struggle. I don't know if you've experienced that before, where you walk into a trial, you walk into a temptation, you walk into a a season of life and you're going, this is just hard. This is a struggle. And it doesn't seem like God's bringing you out of it. Right. It doesn't. Maybe it doesn't feel like uh, everything is being lifted up and and God has fully moved and just closed all the doorways and everything is back good now. Right. Have you felt that tension before? But God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to walk with you through this, right? We see that even in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the same situation, right? They're saying, if you do not denounce God, if you do not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to throw you into this fiery furnace. And they stand up for themselves and say, we will not bow down. If we have to die, then we're going to die. But we're going to stand up for what God has called us to do. And they get thrown into the fire, right? Like the better story that would have preached really good would have been like, and God stepped in and the fire was wiped out and the uh, rain fell and the furnace went completely out. But we see the story that they were thrown into the fire and while they were in the fire the king begins to look in and goes wait a second i thought didn't we throw three men into this furnace in there three men there's a fourth man he's walking around untied unbound and he looks like the son of a god right like he begins to see that and then god gives us this principle all throughout scripture that struggles will come in this world but my promise is that i will be with you not only will i be with you but i'm going to as a new testament believer when you give your life to christ you receive god dwelling in us walking in us and because we have god walking in us we have power over everything in our lives and god says i'm not going to eliminate this struggle but i'm giving you power to overcome the struggle that you're in right now i'm going to give it may be i'm giving you the strength to get through the day today it may be whatever it may look like but i think even more specifically what god does especially in these moments and i I don't know if you've experienced this as well But we see this in verse three, and it says, and all the nobles, the high officers, the governors, the royal officials helped the Jews because they feared Mordecai. Oftentimes, especially in times of trouble, God will send the right people 
at the right time. I don't know if you've experienced that before. I know in my life, it's like I'm going through something and God will bring that person and they'll walk up to me and they'll say the word that I needed to hear or they'll provide something that I really needed in that season, right? And God worked through them and because God orchestrated and brought the right people at the right time, I saw God working through his people and it happens over and over again and God loves to use his people. And so my encouragement for us as a church is if God places something on your heart, you could be the answer to somebody's prayer. And you could you could feel like it's just a nudge or it's just a push. I don't know if I should do this or I should say that they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm a little crazy or, or whatever it may be. My encouragement to you would be to step out and to say, you know what? God may be trying to use you to meet them right where they are. They're saying that one thing that just you just needed to hear that in that moment. I don't know if you ever showed up to church before and we read a piece of scripture and you're like, no way, he just read that scripture. That's exactly what I was thinking about and worried about and dwelling on this whole week. It's happened to me over and over again. I'll show up to small group and we'll begin to talk and I'm beginning to sense a theme in small group. going, man, this is the thing that God brought me here for, right? Like he is encouraging me here in this moment and we begin to see him work in and through people. And I believe that you and I, that's when we begin to see the Holy Spirit we get to step back. And one of my favorite things about preaching is that when I get a chance to talk with you and other people and they say, I, I can't believe you said that. You said this. And, and that's exactly what I needed to hear. And in that moment, I know it's nothing about me because most of the time it's like a Saturday night. God's like, hey, can you make sure you say this? Like he really presses it on my heart. Like you really need to say this and, and I'll write it down and I'll, I'll either say it or, or just even bring that piece of scripture in. And, and then God begins to speak it. And I love that because I, now we see how the Holy Spirit unites us, how he brings his church together. And he says, I'm going to speak through you. And it's going to be it may not even make sense to you right now, but I just need you to say it because the other person, when they hear it, it's going to be like it's a, a fresh glass of water. Right. It's going to it's going to be a moment where they're going, wow, God is really working. He is still moving because these nobles they didn't know by switching sides like that that it was going to change the trajectory of this whole plan right but god begins to work through his people we see this over and over again we see this in trials and a lot of times in our trials during those trials god will bring us temptations in those trials right because the enemy wants to still kill and destroy and god's saying i want to give life and give it abundantly and in the trials there's a lot of struggle but yet in the struggle the devil will come and he'll want to tempt us to either uh, round a corner or to sin here or to do this or to do that to cope with what's happening right there in the moment right but god gets says this in first corinthians 10 13 he says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and god is faithful he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. I, I, some people will use that verse and kind of pull it out of context and say, God won't, won't give you more than you can handle. When he's talking about temptation here, uh, if we read the Bible, God lots of times will give us more than we can handle, right? Uh, because he's saying, I want you to rely on my strength. And he's saying that I will not allow the temptation to overcome you, even though what you're going through may feel like it's crushing i want you to know you don't have to fall through the temptation of that he says when you are tempted he will show you a way out so that you can endure he's saying i'm going to be with you in that but i'm going to show you how a way to get out maybe somebody's going to say something i'm going to show you a piece of wisdom of what you need to do and how you need to move and work so that you don't fall but you can endure you can make it 
through. And we see this uh, chapter 9 continues there. And the Jewish people organize. They come together. They come to attack the Jewish people and all the nobles and uh, the different people. They've organized together and they completely overpower anybody that is coming out against them. If you go back and read it, uh, this is not a a few chapters that you want to read in Bridge Kids. Because the Jewish people, they wipe everybody out. And Queen Esther, can I tell you, she does not play games. Because uh, the king comes back and he says, you've already killed hundreds of people what do you want to do now she says tomorrow let's do it again we need to wipe everybody out that's going to oppose us my people can't live in fear their whole lives and if they want to come attack us you need to let them and allow us to continue to fight and so they wipe out hundreds of thousands of more people who are opposed to the jewish people and if you're reading that you're going okay well god come on now god what is turning the other cheek all of these different pieces we kind of wrestle with that tension don't we a little bit but we see this in scripture that uh, this is a huge piece of them realizing if we don't do something, we're going to be wiped out. It's either we're going to be wiped out or they're going to be wiped out. Right. But God gives them strength of going. I'm going to be with my people here in this moment. I'm going to give them strength so that they are not eliminated. And we see God work in and through them. And so they overcome this. And and now, of course, after all of this, Queen Esther and Mordecai continue to be lifted up. And as they're lifted up into the kingdom, of course, as you raise in leadership, what happens? Your influence raises, right? Uh, more people, you have more responsibility. If you notice that when you take on a new role or new responsibility, the weight becomes a little stronger and the decisions that we make affect more people at a deeper level, right? And, uh, and we see this begin to happen with Mordecai. And in Esther chapter 10, the, the book closes with this. Esther chapter 10. Everybody still doing okay? It starts here in verse two. It says his great achievements. He's talking about Mordecai, his great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of history and the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai, the Jew, became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of those of all their descendants. We leave, I love that. It says he continued his prime minister raised up to second to none of the king. He is almost the highest in charge next to King Xerxes himself. And it says the reason why God allowed him to continue to have more influence and more responsibility was that he was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem. And the Jews rallied around him because he continued to what? Work for the good of his people and for the welfare of all their descendants. So he was not only working for them, but he was working for generations to come, all of their descendants. And as we read this, we see that Mordecai became an advocate for the Jewish people. He stood in the gap between the king and his people. And for you and I to realize we need to find Jesus all throughout Scripture. And Jesus is our advocate. That's what the Bible teaches us and shows us, that Jesus stands before God the Father on our behalf and advocates for us. And we see this in 1 John 2, 1. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
we see this picture of Jesus going, uh, although you and I are, are dead in our sin and separated from God, when we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus stands in front of the king, our, our God, and we begin, and he begins to be our advocate of saying, hey, don't look at them as fallen in their sin. They placed their faith in me. And now look at me because that's my child. That's my daughter. That's my son. And I have taken their righteousness. I have paid their penalty for the sin that they have made. I've paid their penalty for the wrong that they have done, the wrong that, that has uh, infiltrated their heart. And he's saying, I'm standing there as their advocate. And the amazing thing is, is it doesn't stop at salvation. Jesus becomes a, our advocate until we get to eternity, right? He is always advocating on our behalf. We pray what? In Jesus name, right? Because we're praying in the name of Jesus because he continues to be our advocate. He continues to stand in the gap on our behalf. And that changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we live our lives. And I just want to just briefly share this uh, verse with you because I want us to really understand the power that we have, not in our name, but in the name of Jesus. For every single day, for every single relationship we have, for every responsibility that is placed on our shoulders, we have the authority of Jesus walking with us. In Hebrews 1, chapter 3, it says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That is, I I was telling uh, Alan and Bunny this morning, I read this verse to include that here. This is a verse right here. I need to memorize this, place it on my heart. This is a powerful verse. Can you picture this scene? Jesus Christ dies on the cross for all sins of humanity, right? Can we just picture that for a second? We just need to I think we don't need to forget the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we can have access to everything that we're talking about here. Right. He sacrificed himself on the cross. And while he's on the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. His heart is evangelism. His heart is for the lost all the way through. And I mean, he even saves the criminal on the cross beside him. In his last breath, he is constantly thinking about those who are far from him. And he's saying, that's why I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And we see this picture of Jesus. And then it says he gets back to heaven. And what does he do? He sits down at the right hand of the father. If I was in student ministry, I'd say, what a boss move, right? Like just sits down. My work is done, right? I'm sitting down and I picture Jesus sitting down at the right hand of the father. And if something you and I do, Jesus goes back because we can begin to panic, right? Like I've fallen short. I didn't make it. And we begin to panic and going, oh no, is God going to take me back? Oh no, what's going to happen is I don't know. And Jesus, maybe we feel like Jesus is going to stand back up. Hey, we need to do this thing again. I need to go back as a baby. I need to die on the cross again and make all of these things happen. Jesus goes, no, I'm still seated. I'm still sitting down. I I am sitting at the right hand of my father. And what I did on the cross thousands of years ago can still cover the sins of all of humanity. He's saying, if you will just trust me, you will believe me on that fact. You can come to me. All, All those moments that we fall short, God says, bring it back to me and lay it at my feet. And he that is a promise that you and I have that Jesus has and that we see this mighty power of his command that God, he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. 
We see in Genesis, if we want to remember the power that God's had, we can read Genesis chapter 1. It says nothing existed. You know what that means in Greek? Nothing, right? Like nothing was there. And God spoke it. And then it was there, right? So God, if he, the material he needs is nothing, right? He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He gives life to us every single day. And so if we're looking at our life, looking at our situation, and we may be looking at God going, I got nothing. There's nothing going on. God can work with nothing, right? He is the creator and sustainer. He is saying, trust me with it. Maybe you can just see the chapter, but God can see the whole story. And I, I want to kind of close with this uh, piece of information because I think this is important because when God elevates us, when God elevates Mordecai, we see that he has all of this influence and he uses the influence not only to glorify God, but for God's people. He doesn't he doesn't neglect. He said, I'm going to serve God, but I'm going to allow God to use my influence to serve God's people as well. And so for you and I, I'd love for us to two things. One is to recognize our influence. John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, right? And that you and I, every single person in this room has influence. And it may you may just be one person, then you have influence over yourself, right? We have to lead ourselves first. We have influence over ourselves, but maybe you're married or maybe you have kids or maybe you have neighbors or maybe you go to work or whatever that may be. God's placed people in your life that you have influence over, right? When you say something to them, they they hear it and they listen to it. Some of us, we've been elevated at work where we could just say almost anything and they're like, okay, let's go get this done, right? They're going to make this happen because of the influence that we have. But then the second question becomes, what do we do with that influence, right? How do we exercise the influence that God has given us? And we see all throughout scripture that Faith without works is dead. And God is saying, not only I'm going to give you influence. One of my favorite verses, especially for leadership, is he who is faithful with a little will be faithful with much. And we, God, we may say, all I have is this much influence. Like, it's just me, God. God's going, be faithful with that. I'm going to keep, I'll give you more influence, but be faithful where you are. And we see this begin to move and work, but exercise our influence as well. And so I want to give us four things and I'm going to pray and we're going to, we're going to worship and uh, then we're going to party at the park tonight and it's going to be great, right? Amen. Uh, and so as we exercise our faith, I want to give us like four things as we dive into it of how we can exercise our fluence this week today. We don't have to wait. Of course, you can continue to pray about it and ask God. But the things that I'm going to tell you today, um, I'm going to tell you, you can pray about it, but they're already in Scripture. OK, like God's saying pre-approved. You can do these things right here as we begin to talk about it. And the first thing that we can do with our influence is sympathize with people. And uh, or you can say have compassion or empathy or whatever it may be. But as we head out into the world of those who we especially we have influence over, a lot of times we have to stop and what? Listen, right? We have to go, OK, what's going on with your life? What's happening with you? And I and I and for me, I've recognized this. It's the moment that I move from self-leadership to going, OK, I'm good now. And let me turn to someone else. And let me put their needs above myself and go, hey, how are you doing? 
Tell me what's going on with you. Tell me about your family. What's happening with you, right? And all of a sudden, we're hearing how God now can use our influence. And if you're in a setting where you really have a huge responsibility and they're used to the boss just telling people what to do, you do this, you're going to stand out. They're going to be like, what? What? Uh, uh, I didn't come prepared. I don't know what they'll say, right? And so we begin to ask them. But as we sympathize with people, we're going, okay, what you're going through. Maybe even you have somebody at work, right? Like when you see them walk in the door, you're like, oh, boy. Here we go. Here, there it comes, right? Um, I, some people call uh, the extra grace required, right? Like we see the EGR, like those moments of going, here we go. But God may have placed you in their life for a reason, right? To go, hey, what, what's going on? What, what's happening here? And we have a moment to use our influence for God's kingdom. The other one is, is to serve people. And I think this one really uh, speaks for itself. When God's, when God, uh, what I love about the disciples is they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Can you imagine? Like Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and they're all sitting there together. Or uh, I'm sorry, uh, they're all sitting together. This is later on in John. Jesus already died and come back to life, right? And they're having this conversation. All the disciples, they're arguing about what? Guess what they're arguing about? Who's going to be greater? Like, who's the best disciple? And I'm just going to say, Peter has a good argument, right? Like, he's got a good argument. He's walked on water, all of these things. He's at the transfiguration, all of this, right? But Jesus goes, why are you even talking about this? He's like, if you want to be great, do you know the cup that I have to bear? And he says, I gave my life to serve, right? In Mark 10, 45, those to serve God, and we see this, to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, then we must serve. And he's saying that's an opportunity for us to use our influence. And that really honestly changes the way that we view leadership, right? It takes the uh, pyramid and it turns it upside down, right? Instead of me passing things down, it turns it upside down. How can I, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I allow you to move and work in a mighty way? And God can use our influence if we're willing to say, hey, how can I serve you? How can I walk with you through this? Another thing that Mordecai does is, is that Mordecai speaks up for God's people. He has a moment, right, where he even uh, comes and challenges uh, Esther because Esther is scared to go before the king. And then Mordecai says, you think you're in the palace and you're going to be saved from all this, but you're going to have to speak up because, you know, you're Jewish, too. And he begins to see this. The picture began to fold out. And Mordecai and Esther, they're willing to even risk their own lives to speak up and to speak out for what God wants to do in them and through them. And sometimes God calls us to speak up and to speak out for his promises and his truth. And be willing, you and I know, be willing to just like we see Esther and Mordecai, that we may take some hits, right? We may take some discouragement, whatever it may be, but there comes a moment in time. And if you've ever had somebody that you've had to advocate for, you notice that uh, just our service didn't work, right? Like we had to speak up. Maybe you've had a kid that went through something really hard at school. And guess what? You're in the principal's office and you're speaking up. You're right. You're like, hey, we got to do something here. We got to make this happen because God may have placed some people in our lives who don't have that voice yet. Right. Or maybe they're just so beaten down from life. They don't even know what to say or what to do. And they need somebody to come alongside them to go, hey, Here's what needs to happen. Here's what we needs to do. Let me help you talk to this person. Here's what God's word says. And we have to speak out and be willing to, to move forward in that. Because we see Mordecai, it says he continued to work for the good of his people. And to speak up 
for the welfare of their descendants, not just where they are, but for generations to come to speak up and to go, hey, we got to keep thinking multiple generations down. And then lastly, and then I'm going to get ready to close here, is to sacrifice. We see all of this that Mordecai and Esther were willing. Esther said what? She says, if I die, I die. But I'm willing to sacrifice. And here's the thing, is that I believe there's no other mindset or thing that a human can do that catches another human being's heart the way that sacrifice does. Have you, has somebody ever sacrificed for you before? It's like it takes your breath away, right? It's like, <gasps> like wait, wait, you did that for me? Like you, you gave that money to me? Like you worked hard all week and you're still willing to give that to me? Or like they, they sacrificed their whole Saturday to come over and help you do something? You're like, what, you did that for me? Like you did that? I, I never forget we were in the airport one time and uh, uh, the military, uh, some of the guys came back from deployment and they were walking through the airport and the entire airport stopped because there was just hundreds of guys and still in uniform. And you could tell they literally just came off the field. And so they're walking through Atlanta airport and everybody stops and they just start clapping and you see these young guys' faces, right? Because they just got off this long flight, probably long, hard deployment, and they're coming home. But it stops everybody in their tracks. Why? Because they sacrificed. They were willing to, to take all of that time to help our freedom. Whatever it may be, whatever they're fighting for, it's because the sacrifice speaks to the human heart. And when you and I are willing to sacrifice for the people who are around us, even if we have influence over them, it begins to speak to them in a way of they're going, wow, I can't believe you would do that for me. Would you really do that for me? And it comes because who sacrificed for us? Jesus gave his life on a cross. And what does it do? It causes you and I to step back and go, for me? Really? Me? The greatest evangelism tool we have is to go, did you know that God loves you so much that he didn't wait for you to have it all together? He didn't wait for you to choose him. But he says, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And we begin to look at that and go, for me? Really? And I wouldn't even chase you and you did that for me. It changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way I view my life. It changes the way that we view God because he first pursued us. And he said, I'm going to fill you up to the point where you don't need. And we talked about this last week. You don't need the approval and the validation from the world around you. You get that from me. I'm going to fill you up and I'm going to send you out into the world where they're hurting and they're lost and they're blind. They're living in darkness and they need to know that there's another way to live. And it may not come until the other side of you and I are willing to sacrifice and willing to make that step. And people go, why would you do this? And we get to share the beautiful gospel with them because Christ first sacrificed for us and he changed my life. And he helped me and he guided me. And now I want to help you. I want to I want to be there for you. God sent me and it's kind of the answered prayer for them here in this moment. So as I close, I'd love for us to wrestle with our influence. God's either got us influence over ourselves or maybe the people around us. And as we see the book of Esther close, we remember that as we exercise our influence, as God uses us for his glory, how can we use our influence. Maybe you want to pray the prayer. God, help me. Show me how to use my influence. And maybe you just take one of those first four things, right? To sympathize or to speak up, whatever it may be. Just take one of those four things to say, you know what? This week, I need to do that one. 
that, that one's for me, God. I need boldness and courage to do this, God. Show me a way to serve. Show me a way to serve. Whatever it may be, I can pull one of those pieces out and allow God to use it because God will have the final word. We are already, just how the team switched over, right? They switched over to the Jewish side. You and I, we're already on the winning team. We already know that God is going to win. He is going to have the final word. If you want to, take the Bible, just like we talked about in reading. We can go back and read Revelations. We can start at the end, right? Because in the end, guess what? Jesus wins. And you and I, we live, we sacrifice, we sympathize, we serve, knowing that fact that even though I'm in the middle of a struggle, even though I'm in the middle of a trial, Jesus still wins. And we live not for victory, but from victory. Amen? And we see this truth that God has given us, and he gives us strength to do that. So I want to invite uh, the worship team back up, and I want to pray for us and just ask God to speak to our hearts. And as I get ready to pray, uh, uh, if you're like me, maybe there's one area that God's placed on your heart of saying, hey, I want you to lean into this. But then we feel the tension a little bit, right, of going, do I, do I really speak up? Do I really say something, what you're trying to get me to say, God, to that, to that neighbor or to whatever that may be? Or God, do I, like them, God, I need to serve them, right? And we, we kind of walk into that tension. And we begin to pray. I just want to ask God to fill us to the point to not where we just kind of feel that push, but becomes over. Flowing. I know in my, in my experience, the, the, as I walk closely with God, it's like the Holy Spirit won't let me not do it, right? It begins to stir and shake and move. And there's been moments where I've passed somebody on the road and the Holy Spirit just hits me so hard. I'm like, oh, fine. I just turn around, right? And because the Holy Spirit is just, just squeezing and working and impressing so much on our hearts. And I'm just praying that God would move and work. And hopefully today is a reminder that we know as we do this, God's purposes and promises cannot be stopped. And we get an invitation from the creator of the universe to say, hey, you want to join me on this? I can work through you. He's a gentleman, right? He's not going to force us into it. He's saying, hey, if you, if you want to, I can use you. Bring me your past. Bring me your pain. Bring me your struggle. Bring me everything, right? He's saying not only Will I heal you from it? But I'll use you to help heal someone else. Not only that, I'll, I'll give you a testimony through that. And God begins to work in us and through us. But it starts with seeking after God, trusting him at his word, and then being willing to, to, to walk through these steps to use our influence where God has for us. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Old Testament books that still speak today. God, thank you for uh, just the faith that Esther and Mordecai had, that we see that they were not perfect, God, but you still use them. You use them to shape an entire nation, to, to keep the Jewish nation, the, the family line of Jesus, to, to keep it going, God. And I pray for anybody in the room or listening online, God, maybe they're uh, in a chapter where it feels like you're absent, God. And I'm just praying that you would send the right person at the right time just to remind them, God, maybe a little nudge, a little wink, that you are right there, Jesus, that you are walking with us. I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through our hearts so strongly, God, that it shakes us and it stirs us that where we have to take a step of faith, God. 
I pray that the Holy Spirit would just breathe the fire maybe that's embering in us, that there's a ministry, that there are a dream that God has placed inside of our hearts, God, that we pick that dream back up and we move forward because there's people not only in this generation but the next generation to come who need our voice to speak up right now today that maybe the people in this room that can hear the sound of my voice were born for such a time as this. God, that you would use us for your glory. We trust you and we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.